welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Martin-Thomas. Join me and my guest speakers as we discuss their journey with their voice and how they use it to support their passions and professions in media, education and the performing arts. My guest this week is voice and piano teacher and choral director, Sarah Burston. I first met Sarah when she presented her MA research at the Voice Geek Conference in 2019, which was all about developing a curriculum for teaching sight singing effectively, based on how we acquire musical skills, how we learn to read music and educational theory. Pre-COVID, Sarah was very busy directing many choirs of differing age groups at the Royal College of Music Junior Department, She was teaching one-to-one voice, piano and music theory lessons and directing the choir at a prep school. And she was also assistant MD at several choral societies. If that didn't sound like enough plates to spin, while managing all of that, Sarah also achieved her MA in professional practice in vocal pedagogy and continues to add to her skill set year on year and develop her ideas further. Of course, since lockdown last year, all the group work had to stop and Sarah moved what she could online. Sarah continued to work with the choristers of Peterborough Cathedral and due to her amazing passion for making sure we all have super duper musicianship skills, she teaches this to groups as well. I'm excited to welcome Sarah to the podcast and learn more about her journey into music and teaching as well as ask about her creative process, light bulb moments and valuable insights from her experience. So welcome Sarah, let's get right into it as I ask you your first question. How would you describe the journey with your voice? Hello, Lee. It's lovely to speak to you today. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. I would say my journey with my voice is ongoing. I think it's one of those things that as as time has progressed and I've tried various different things and different roles in life, um, my relationship with it has changed over the years. When I was seven at my school, I wasn't allowed in the school choir. Really? So um, the teacher suggested that I had some singing lessons and we found a lady locally who did some sort of basic singing with me. And then she was moving abroad and she suggested I joined my local church choir. And really from then stemmed my love of choral singing and particularly church music. And I would say, looking at what I do now, that was really foundational for all of those things. Yes, because you are working in that field now that's your type of music that you're teaching your groups yeah yes it is I mean it's certainly my my first love um and working with the choristers at Peterborough Cathedral really indulges me in that to be honest wow I mean I can admire its beauty I mean the sound that you get in these big cathedrals with the voices and even in smaller churches the acoustics are amazing aren't they yeah, it's a wonderful space for them to sing in. It yeah. really is. And I think all, the choristers don't appreciate that. They're, they're at, um, at Peterborough, they're aged 7 to 13. Um, there is a youth choir that they can join when they finish their, their time as a chorister. But I think at that age, you don't always appreciate the wonder of the building that you're singing in. That's very true. I don't think you just appreciate the building, actually, when you're young, do you? <laughs> I remember dragging my children around various um, cathedrals or things where we've been on little holidays and uh, that you know children just like why why are we here what's the importance of this we don't appreciate these things till we get older do we really (laughs) so when did you know that you were going to be you know a a musician when did that sort of strike you I think probably all the way through I mean it was something that I always did um in my summer holiday I'd go on a week singing course um 
again, church music and made some of my closest friends through doing that, people I've now known for, for many, many years. And so I suppose that it was always a, a hobby and a, and a love of mine. And then trying to decide what to study at university. Originally, I thought music and I went and looked at various places. And then I decided, actually, no, I'd like to do psychology. Ah. So um applied to do psychology and, and had some offers. And then in the April, the month before I started my A-level exams, we sang a concert in London. And on the coach journey home, I remember having this revelation that I absolutely had to do music. Ah. Um, so had to uh, get out, had to excuse myself from the offers I had accepted and then apply through clearing to get a place at university to study music. So it sort of it was just one of those moments, I think, that just I really knew I had to do music. Oh, that's great. Um, so you like really listened to your gut instinct in that moment. Yes. And I think maybe that's something that I need to do, I think, more of, really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you kind of have those moments where sometimes you listen and other times you don't. Um, it's very and true. I, that was definitely the time to listen. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you did. So you went off to to study music. What was the journey next then? Did you sort of immediately go, I'm going to go start teaching or did you get drawn in? No, um, I was adamant at that time that I wasn't going to teach. Well, certainly not classroom teach. That was a very definite, but I don't think I'd even thought about peripatetic teaching. But I did go and work for an ABRSM in their admin team. Um, so I was sort of involved in music without actually doing. But you're getting an insider, you know, an insider view, aren't you, to how, how, how they work over there. That's cool. Very much so. But still keeping singing, you know, singing in choirs, still actually going on weekly courses to sing in the summer and, you know, still loving all those kinds of things. And then I began began working more locally and at that time, I think a friend sort of said to me, oh, you know, I'm, I'm working with this choir. We need an accompanist. Would you like to come and play? So I went and played the rehearsals over a, a term or two. And then he was going on sabbatical and he said, would you like to take the choir for a while? And someone else can come in and play. And I did that. And that was sort of the start of really getting into conducting choirs and sort of beginning to, to do more peripatetic teaching and, and moving away from the, the office work, although I did veer back towards that a little bit later on for for a brief time I think I think we've all dipped our toes in the sort of safe jobs section <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean it's like we you'd, I think it's very it's very easy to love the security of that as well because lots of um, music teachers and singing teachers I know have this you know Monday I'm in this school Tuesday I'm in this school Wednesday I've got to go on the train and go somewhere miles away and it seems like wow I'm just in awe of of, of teachers that are out there doing it in that way but then of course the big jolt from uh, covid happening is it yeah. all stopped now how how did that affect you at the time were you were you kind of all right um well as you said i mean all my choir work stopped um and i know some choirs have kept going with various different things online um but the the ones that i was mainly working with um decided that it wasn't really viable um which i think was the right decision for those choirs I did a couple of workshops with some of the choirs that I work with. So that was nice. To, it was nice to see people, albeit through a screen. One of the sessions, I actually talked about my sight singing research because a lot of them had heard about it over many years um, and sort of ran some of the exercises with them. But of course, I have no idea whether they could do them or not. I had yeah. just based on, based on their facial expressions, did they look like they were doing Yes, I know. It's incredibly <laughs> difficult to do group, group teaching in that way online, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but my um, all my musicianship group lessons stayed online and my individual singing lessons stayed online. I probably lost at least half of my work, mm. um, maybe slightly more. 
which may not have been a bad thing in terms of getting used to using Zoom. So it gave me a little bit more time to work out what was going on with things. Absolutely. I'm yeah. sure there's there's going to be loads of teachers that will hear this and go, yeah, that was me too. Because it was it was a very scary time, sort of March last year, when um, all of us, especially because there were so many teachers in our community who've never used anything online in this way. So yeah. it, that was very, very daunting. It was one of the reasons I did that Zoom thing for AOTOS at the beginning of... Um, beginning of lockdown to just say you know come and have a look and this is how it works and it's actually not that bad so you've been you've been running choirs at this you know for many years you know at this point but somewhere along the line when you really want wanted to develop this curriculum for teaching sight singing what was the process that led you to that light bulb moment of ah this is my idea this is what I want to do I'm not sure if there is one specific thing but just as a general experience I was really fortunate, I think, that when you sing, particularly in a church choir or a cathedral choir, but anything of that nature, because you're singing different music for different services every week, you're constantly learning new repertoire. And if you're in, say, um, a choral society as an adult singer, you generally work on repertoire for a whole term and you yeah. do your end of term concert using that and and you know that that's the way they work but I think because I was learning new music all the time and hymns which you know probably most people would think are quite straightforward but actually you know as a seven-year-old you're dealing with quite quite a lot of different skills just reading the text to start with let alone everything else and I think having done that for many years I didn't realize how good my sight singing skills were and I'm pretty sure it was a result of that so I've I think for a long time I assumed lots of other people could probably do what I could do. Mm. Um, and then you get to meeting more and more people. And so many people say, oh, I really wish I could read music. I really wish I could do that. You know, or I have to listen to recordings to learn things. Or I can sort of just about work it out on the piano using one finger at a time. But it really struck me that, particularly actually when I was doing the research and, and a small scale study, that actually a lot of it's about confidence. And instilling that confidence and giving those skills makes such a difference to people's lives and to how their relationship with singing is because you still hear probably not so much now but there are adults sort of let's say over 50s who say at school I was told I couldn't sing you know I could be in the choir but I had to mime or I couldn't be in the choir and I'm thinking I could have taken that when I was told I couldn't be in the choir I could have taken that and then never sung again absolutely Um, and that's really hard to imagine and I guess I have to thank my parents for that because they wanted to support me. I wanted to be in the choir and, you know, so that they did what they could to enable that to happen. But I think it's just that skill set and it's that foundation. And it's so difficult, you know, adults say, oh, I wish I could have done it before. And you think, well, we can do this. We can teach you how to do it. Um, Yeah, and at any stage. Um, But it just opens so many doors, I think. You can then, if you can pick up a piece of music and have a vague idea of how it goes... It's such a joy rather than having to go onto YouTube and find a recording that may or may not be accurate. And (laughs) yeah, that's very true. Or a different version of the song entirely. Well, yes, that's the other thing, of course. You look up the title and you go, oh, that must be it. And then there's like a different version. Yeah. I, I look at reading music as almost learning another language, but also, you know, the language of music and how that can assist especially children with other things like maths and and problem solving. And it's like a really integral part of brain skill isn't it really brain absolutely Mm. it it really is and it's and it's making all those connections I think that's the other thing about it is you know actually as instrumentalists instrumentalists should be able to sight singing because they should be able to hear how the music's going to sound before they play it because then they know the way they want to phrase each 
section and, and all those things. And, and I think it's often sort of kept as a separate, well, it's sort of almost like a dark art, I think, sometimes. I'm sort of non-judgmental. I think it's, it's up to the person, isn't it, to decide whether they need that skill or whether they feel they don't need that skill. But I do think for the people that take it on, they will have an enjoyment of it in a different way for the rest of their lives. It's such a, a cool thing to be able to read music. I'm really passionate, all the children that I teach, it's so important. And, you know, they always have the music in front of them. And that's the one thing I sort of don't, <laughs> don't ever say. Yes. You, you can just have the words. No, you must have the music. I think if you've got the basics, you can always come back to it later on, can't you? But it's yeah. just having, having some of that basic knowledge can be applied as an adult when you come back to things because inevitably you know there is a time quite often sort of in, in the teenage years that people either really stick with music or they drift away yeah but then subsequently return in the future yeah I mean it's just a valuable thing we we can all enjoy and uh singing as we know so so good for well-being but is there anything that you know now that you wish you'd learn sooner I think probably this is gonna sound really odd <laughs> I think I didn't know how much we could do with the voice. I don't think I really appreciated quite how versatile the voice is and how you can train it to produce different sounds, which when I say it out loud sounds slightly mad. But I think, you know, maybe because I grew up singing mostly church music, um, I mean, obviously I listen to quite a lot of of other things and absolutely love music theatre, but you know, I think perhaps I didn't appreciate that you could actually go and learn how to sing in those different styles and that it was achievable and it wasn't just, oh, my voice won't do that. It's I just don't know how to do it yet. Yes. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I think that makes perfect sense, actually, for, for someone who's who's stayed in their lane, because it's like you've gone on, you've you've sung this kind of music. Now you teach that kind of music. That's your lane, isn't it? So it's yeah. very easy, I think, for people to think, well, that's what I do. That's what I can do. I don't do any of this other stuff. But then you can you can kind of go. Oh, actually, my voice can do all those things. I can go and have fun with it. So if you were going to go uh, sing a show tune later, what would your go to be? I'm really interested now. <laughs> oh gosh, there's a question. Oh. Um, and like kind of instinctively, I'd say something like um, "Don't Rain on My Parade" or something. Oh, you know, fab. kind of a real big sort of <laughs> yes, a big sort of belty showbiz yeah. Broadway number. Love it. Fantastic bit of Fanny Bryce. That's so, that's so, so cool. So, yeah, so the, the idea of, um, of, of how flexible the, the, the vocal tract is and, and the different styles we can do, you know, you're focused, you're, 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 like I say, you're in your lane, you're focused in this style of choral music, which is beautiful music. Do you find that, that children that are coming up in, into these choirs, do they respond to it in the same way that you kind of, you did when you were young? Is it, or do you think they go off, you know, go off and start singing Ed Sheeran as soon as they get to the car park? <laughs> Yeah, they, they do do quite a mixture of stuff. I mean, it's one of the fabulous things about going on tours. I've been on tour with the Cathedral Choir twice and listening to the children sing on the coach, um, you know, as they always do, or if you stop somewhere, you know, I mean, it's just absolutely fabulous. They say all sorts of stuff and, you know, lots, lots of rapping things and things, lots of things that I've never even come across. You yeah. know? <laughs> oh, that's great, though, because you do. I do wonder if there's a sort of mindset, really, for... Um, I can't imagine myself, I'm sort of imagining myself going into a really um, sort of serious choir. And I, as an adult, I would love it because I love the sounds and all the different layers and the harmonies and how it sounds in, a, in, in those beautiful um, places where the sound just, oh, it just mushes together in the best way, isn't it? All those lovely tones doing things somehow in the ceiling area, just going up there and bing, 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 all these magical things happening. So um, I'm imagining that... Um, 
that you have to be very dedicated, especially if you're like you say you're learning new pieces of music for church services every week and and those sorts of things. There's a dedication. So th- these skills that you're teaching are really essential, aren't they, to get through that? I mean, how would you keep up if you didn't? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly when the children join the cathedral choir, it's I would say it's a lifestyle choice. You know, for the next six years, their lives have to revolve around the timetable of, of services and rehearsals. Um, so it really does require dedication. Um, but it's such good foundational skills. But, you know, out, even outside of music, I mean, obviously, they're developing incredible musicianship and and you know, using their voices really well. But just they're learning so much about teamwork, about commitment, um, about managing time, um, you know, all those sorts of things as well, which are going to be essential life skills. Absolutely. And developing confidence. Yeah. Um, developing confidence is so important in children. I think there's, you can, I can see a difference with children that have taken on a musical instrument or taken on an art form of some kind compared to those that don't and how lost they might feel a few years down the line that there's been nothing to really get yeah. passionate about in that way and expression is exp- being able like giving kids a reason to express themselves so so important yeah. and music really allows them to to do that whatever sort of music I have a question that's just come to me actually would you ever say to an- anybody you can't sing in the choir no my goodness no yeah I did I've, that's what I was wondering from your experience whether you've turned into that or whether you've gone no that will never happen I can always bring someone in and encourage them and help them yeah I mean I think you know obviously some of you know things like the cathedral choir are auditioned and, and that's how that is but if it's a choir that's meant to be open to everyone like a school choir which is the situation I was in um you know but any choir often it's about not having been exposed to enough music before so you haven't had a chance to sort of develop a, a bank of of what music can sound like and sort of an awareness of how of how things might go Mm. but also it's just finding your voice if you've not had any opportunity to sing if you've not heard people singing around the house or wherever else people sing you know football grounds and all sorts of places if you've not had any of those sort of opportunities that's your first chance to to find your voice then you've got to have time to do that and it and it will take time and it's singing next to singing next to others and and practicing those skills that allows that to happen. Have you got very well-behaved children? Some of the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we were, they might be listening. Their parents might be listening. I'm not going to say anything naughty about them. But I, do, I, I say most of the time. <laughs> most of the time. That's wonderful. Because, I mean, I've, I've worked with groups of, uh, with, with children in, in castes and things that I've, I've produced over the years. And, uh, and, and I have to say that as much as I love it, um, when we, we tend to do four group songs for each of our showcases and we do, uh, do them every six months. And it's a nice chance to get everybody in the room and have some, you know, harmony singing, all sorts of things. But generally speaking, I work with one to one. When we do our group stuff, I love it, but it's exhausting because I've got to get them all in the right place and then all sing in the right parts and things like that. So I do I do admire people that really, you know, in, embody themselves as choral directors because I know how exhausting I find it uh, just doing it in, in a short way, in a small way sometimes. Um, but do you, do you know, do you? Do you feel that way, though? Do, is, is it ever exhausting or do you just feel like, I love this work? This is the thing that... Um, it, has, it has, I mean, I would say on the whole, I love it. And yeah. it's very hard to imagine doing anything different. But it can be exhausting, particularly um, on, a, on a concert day. You know, if you've had a slightly stressful rehearsal because people have been late or haven't remembered to bring their music with them or yes. these sorts of things you know yeah um, or, or just you know some of the people you're expecting don't turn up and you know things you've carefully 
managed in terms of formation of the choir or, or division of parts and things and you suddenly have to to change all those kinds of things it can be quite stressful from that point of view um, but I don't think there's anything quite like the feeling at the end of a piece of music when there's that sort of moment where the music's just held in the air and everyone's just waiting and you know <sighs> still kind of absorbing what's just happened and there's just that moment of oh, oh. and it's just it's Magical. dreamy, dreamy, absolutely dreamy. So have you experienced any light bulb moments you'd like to share, either on your own journey or while working with others' voices? Um, I think probably on, on my journey, I um, was doing part of the, one of the real upsides of lockdown um, has been I've indulged in lots of uh, professional development courses online because they've all been there I've had the time mm. um, it's been absolutely fabulous um, and one of the things I did was um, uh, a vocal health first aid course um, which has just been absolutely incredible to do and I, I did the first level last summer and I'm just part way through level two now and I think just in that hearing from so many different specialists um you know, there's been elements about performance anxiety, which is really interesting. I mean, some of which I was really fortunate enough to learn when I was doing my MA. Um, we had people speaking about it and other peers in my cohort were studying it. And I think it's something, that kind of thing, that doesn't always get paid enough attention to. And certainly that's something I think the children are experiencing, having been online for so long and not at school and at home it's been very difficult for some of them if they've got, you know, other family members around when they've been singing. They're not necessarily embarrassed to sing, but they don't want to sing out because dad might be on a work call somewhere and, and mum's trying to help somebody else do their English or something. Mm. And, and so they've been really holding back. And actually, I think it has developed a sort of anxiety in them, even if it's not a realised one, because, you know, they've been they've been holding everything in for many months now um, and actually what now we're starting to get back in the room together there's a real element of not wanting to sing out or not feeling able to sing out and I think it will be really interesting as we, we sort of move on over the next six months and, and into the future that I think an element of that is it's not just that they have to hold back because of what else is going on around but I think there's an anxiety attached to that as well and mm. um, so those sorts of skills and um, learning more about that and how to to help support people through that process has been particularly interesting. That's wonderful I mean we do have a duty of care don't we to our students and I think you can certainly tell if um, somebody's not themselves in in group that day or or in a lesson and and that you know we do we do have a duty of care to make sure our kids are okay absolutely yeah that's really good so what do you find most valuable in caring for your voice and and in you know encouraging your group members well I think for my own voice certainly staying hydrated is really important I think it's really difficult one of my days when I'm teaching my lessons are only 20 minutes um oh. so I've got a constant you know three children an hour as we go through the day and it might have to really make sure on those days that I do stay well hydrated because it's very easy to just sit there and 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 also just physically stretching moving all the time yeah. um it's you know even if I'm not playing the piano all the time I'm quite often sitting at the piano yes um so making sure physically um I'm sort of fit and mobile um as well but certainly the hydration and it's amazing the amount of children you say you know you get to sort of mid-afternoon and, and and they come in and they're not standing on, on tip-top form and, you know, oh, have you drunk much today? Well, I had a glass of water at 
breakfast okay yeah. and anything else well I forgot my water bottle then I know. <laughs> and at the moment, in a lot of, certainly in a lot of schools the water fountains um, aren't always working at the moment if they haven't brought water to school you know they're, they're quite limited on on what drinks they can get depending on you know the situation that they're in you know it's that constant just keep keep drinking keep drinking you know it really does make a difference and also not just vocally but to, to your brain as well I mean I know Absolutely. afternoon lessons if you haven't had enough <laughs> enough to drink throughout your the brain's morning, the like real struggle <laughs> Your brain's shriveling up, needing, needing, uh, needing hydrating. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. I remember being, I remember at school though, that um, drinking enough or drinking regularly was quite tricky because you can't have a drink in your lessons. Mm. So you've got your break times and your lunch periods, but also if you have too much, then you're going to need a wee in class. So you have to kind of like (laughs) forego. It is a tricky balance. It is, unless you write, you know, your classroom's right next to the the loo and you can nip off. But yeah, it's it's tricky because I think there's nothing worse, especially when you're like 12, 13 and you've got, you put your hand up and go, sir, can I just go off to the loo? And, And they might say no. No, and it, it is difficult, but mm. it is one of those things that's the, it's the easiest thing to do, isn't yeah. it? It's the, the easiest thing to do to help look after yourself. Absolutely. Water, very, very important. Now then, what does your voice mean to you? For me, it allows me to share my passion. Sharing my my love of music, but just, you know, the general everythingness, so not a word. <laughs> All the skills that doing something musical developing you and, and sharing all those things and really I mean it's for me it's the foundation of so many things and to to equip others to have those skills and to develop that passion whether it's lifelong or just you know for the period of time that they're at a particular school or studying somewhere and you know without my voice I wouldn't be able to do those sorts of things um and I think I mean personally I still think I'm trying to trying to find my voice as such you know I think having said earlier about you know my love of musical theatre I do and it's my you know one day I'm going to do some proper training and and singing some big show numbers oh you gotta you gotta do it you'll love it um but for the moment I'm my time is taken up elsewhere. <laughs> yes, yes. You're, I mean, you're massively big in, in in music education. And I tell you what I'd love to ask you about is the the ideas that you've got developing about an app for sight singing. Is that something we can talk about? I know it's still in development, but you have ideas. Do you want to share? In development is a really good word for it, Lee. Thank you. <laughs> as far as I can see, there's no apps that exist at the moment that do exactly what I'd like to be able to, to do. In terms of really taking singers and anyone who was interested from really, really basic first principles. So incorporating listening skills, reading skills from the very start. And and with the educational theory that I've been looking at, it would be a real sort of spiral curriculum. So sort of in the background, it's a little bit like snakes and ladders. It's every time you get something right, you move forwards. And if you don't get something right, um, you go back a step to reconsolidate the skills you need in order to then succeed in that part so I would love to develop an app I'm sort of at the stage of trying to work out the best way of doing it in terms of do I find a developer myself do I find a company that would be interested in the product as such and work alongside them to do it Mm. but it's just the kind of thing it's so difficult for people to practice sight singing at home and I've had very enthusiastic children before come in to their lesson I've been practicing number seven or whatever you know and they've practiced it really well but consistently wrong Um, (laughs) yes it's really difficult to then say um oh you know you've tried you've done such a good job here you've obviously practiced a lot you know you've got all these details in 
but <laughs> not actually what it's meant to be. Yes. Um, you know, and I mean, in you know, you've got there's so much credit for for having a go and putting that practice in. And they, you know, must have practiced a lot in order to secure it in the way that they did. But it's really hard to practice sightseeing. And I think that's a real barrier mm. for many, many people. And this would give immediate feedback about what they've done. And, and it, it just builds incrementally so that you really build your confidence at the same time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen a, an app before um, which had things like scales on it with notes on the stave where you can sing along and it will, it will light up green if you've got it accurate with your voice and it would go red if you didn't. So there's a way of sort of tuning in. I've seen that yeah. kind of thing before. But I think the, I love the idea, especially if it's, if it's for children, this idea of snakes and ladders, but it's the idea of levelling up once you've got the skill and not levelling up until you've got the skill, which is almost quite game-like, which I think kids will love. Yeah, but it, like you're saying about things with the scales, I mean, there, there are things like that around, but this would be really starting from two pitches, maybe yeah. even just one. Certainly in terms of, of singing lessons, and I, I know it, things are changing and have been changing over recent years, but there's still an element of we'll teach you your songs and you'll get by on the site singing. It's such a small part of the exam, don't worry, kind of thing. Absolutely. Know? Well, you want to build all round musicianship, don't you? It makes complete sense. And I, that, that's the, the, the clientele that will be drawn to you are also the kids and the, and the grown-ups that really want to develop that so in terms of we know what your voice means to you it's your, your you know you're using it as as expressing your passion and spreading your word and it's a work in progress for yourself in that you're going to go off and do some other stuff later come back and wow us <laughs> with your don't rain on my parade but it leads me into asking you know whose voices inspire you in terms of you know what who are you listening to and who could you never tire of listening to do you know, I find that a really difficult question when you, you said that, that this one was going to come up. And it's one of those things that it's just, I just don't know. That's interesting. So, I mean, in terms of, I guess, what would you call the most, you know, beautiful goosebump kind of performance that really pulls you in? It may be a beautiful piece of choral music that you've directed, but is there a, I don't know, maybe, maybe just because you do that so much, soloists maybe don't filter in so much. Yeah, it's it's a really funny thing. I mean, I would I have an absolute favourite piece of choral music. Oh, what's that? Um, it's um it's a piece by William Harris. Okay. Who I wrote my undergraduate dissertation about actually, but the piece of music is called "Bring Us, O Lord God," okay. um, and it's a setting for double choir. So you've got eight vocal line or eight parts, okay. um, and it's just the most stunning piece of music. And there are some performances around that are, are less good than others. But it's the kind of piece, I mean, to the point where one of my friends sent me a text one morning saying, put Radio 3 on now. <laughs> and it's, and you know, if, I mean, people know, some of my friends know that. You know, You're obsessed with that song. Like, yeah. It's on. And it's just, but I think, I, th- I, I do think I probably, I think I listen in different ways. You know, I mean, I listen to lots of different music. But I think probably the time that I'm most focused on what I'm listening to is when it's choral music. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that's that probably says quite a lot about me. Of course, eight lines. It's quite antiphonal. So you'll hear half the choir sing something and the second half then sort of merge into it and lay over the top and then the, the others come back in. And it just... Oh, I love that. It, yeah, it's just divine. It really is. <sighs> Group singing, the blend... And getting that right, you know, finishing lines really cleanly, everybody's sort of doing their bits. And there's, you know, research now that tells us that when people sing in groups, that their hearts start to coordinate, their heartbeats start to coordinate, 
that they're somehow sort of breathing in time with each other. There's this sort of universal energy that, that, that comes out of a group. What's that like standing at the front when it's really good? It, it just, it's almost sort of indescribable, really. You can really, you, it, it's palpable. Mm. The feeling in the, in the room or wherever you're singing is it really is. There are real moments when things come together and you do get that, that cohesion and just that, that feeling of unity. Mm. And I think you sometimes get those moments where you suddenly realise, you know, it really is true that there are times when it just feels like the choir is greater than the sum of its parts. It just, everything comes together and it's just this one incredible sound. Mm. Um, and, it, and it moves people. I think it moves the singers as much as it can move audiences. That was really my next can. question, actually. I was going to say, and you see that in the faces of the people that are singing in, in those moments of, wow, look at what we're creating together. This is an amazing thing. Yeah. And, and what's really lovely is that you can see that in the youngest singers as well as, you know, uh, I've worked with sort of year one and two children in choirs and the excitement that they get, you know, they can you can see sort of and pride on their faces, you yes. know, when, when, when their parents are, are celebrating what they've been doing. And then in choral societies with singers who are later, much later on in life, you know, some of them, that is their social event each week is going to choir and, you know, their passion for it still and, and how much they enjoy what they're doing and, and share, it's, it is sharing that love of music with people. Definitely. So important. And it's just, I'd like you to say, I mean, for, for the people that are going into the, you know, joining a choral society or a, an operatic society or something when they're perhaps later in life, and they could have come from that place of being told when they were young, you're not joining the choir, go away. But then they've given themselves permission to know I'm going to I'm going to pick this up and give this a go and then find the love of it. So it's never too late, is it? Oh, absolutely not. No, That's there's really always cool. time to start singing. Absolutely. Here's a question then. What is vocal freedom? I think it can be many things, but using your voice in any way you want to. Mm. Having having that freedom to know your voice can do anything. You know, it's it's the opportunities are huge and endless and just really exploring it and I think that then opens up a whole world doesn't it that you know actually you can try whatever you like have a go at singing I mean I had a brief spell singing barbershop music and absolutely loved it being in, in a small barbershop group and you know it was a whole revelation for me and you know full of choreography I, I do a lot of dancing so I absolutely love that side of it cool um, and you know and but I think it's it is quite easy I think probably a lot of people whatever kind of singing they find they often don't explore you know you fall into maybe what your first love was and and don't always try other things but vocal freedom I mean it is just it's you can do whatever you like with your voice can't you yeah it is magical I love it I love it I love the the whole concept of trying to say to people not to put labels on yourself not to put yourself in a box of I can only do that I mean, it's okay. I think if you, you know, when you're a professional, it's absolutely important to identify your special skill. But then I think for flexibility and health, you should be able to use everything, use all the bits and pieces. Even if one is your, that's my lane, that's my profession, still, still have fun with the other stuff. Because I think that's really what builds the flexibility and stops voices getting stuck in the same thing. Yes. You know, in terms of like, what can become dysphonic or habits as like, you know, carrying, the, you know, for example, working in clinic a few years ago, you know, sometimes the danger of, of, of getting too stuck in one lane is, is mm. that can bring the habits that, that become unhealthy over time, over lots of time. 
Yeah. And what would be your most unexpected song uh, that your, let's like, say your your choir kids would just be thrown if it started to come out of you? What would they be like? <laughs> Miss, oh, we didn't know you could do that. Probably any kind of show number. Really? That would be fun. <laughs> Very much connected to stories and text. And I think, you know, which I think is part of the, the musical theatre bit yes. is that always about the I mean everything we sing is about the story I spend my life saying what are we singing about you know just there's something about that if you really it's something if a text really resonates with you it's just like I'd love to do that yeah absolutely very important yeah. lining lining yourself up so that you're embodying the the song and doing that in a group with with children what brilliant skills you're going to bring to them you know you'll be one of those oh my favorite music teacher was Miss Burston kind of people <laughs> when you when when they're older have you got any sort of favorite or influential music teachers or people that have helped you along the way that you just maybe wouldn't have got here without them? One of my piano teachers who has become a very, very dear friend. Um, she taught me when I was, from when I was about 12 to, until when I went to university, um, which is a, a while ago now. Um, but we've kept, always kept in touch over over the years and I, I still see her regularly and been a joy even just going out for a walk with her over recent months because we've been allowed to do that you know it's been been wonderful to catch up and she she's the main reason I ended up studying music at Royal Holloway mm. she had studied there herself 20 years earlier and when I had this revelation about I must do music and it was so late in the day she was the person my mum went to to say what do Help. we do Help. Um, yeah and so she she suggested Royal Holloway which which made sense it was it was actually quite close to where um, I grew up and where I live now um, but that you know that came from her and so much of what I've done you know she's definitely my go-to person still for advice and what should I do about this particular thing and 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 she's the one that's still pushing me on one day to actually do my piano diploma which I started many years ago <laughs> yeah will do you will day. definitely <laughs> definitely it's all all these personal challenges, all the reasons that we that we uh, we keep going. It's it's brilliant, and it just brings us a zest for life and music, and it's all yeah. wonderful. It's been a joy to catch up with you today, Sarah. Thank you so much for your time and for telling us a bit about your journey. Do keep in touch with us because we'd love to. I'd love to have you back on when you've got your app ready to go, or at least you know you've got some things to share about that. And we'll signpost it all over the Vocal Freedom page and make sure people know where to find it because it's going to be such a cool thing. It's such a needed thing. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for asking me to speak. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me on the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll move into your day with a bit more vocal freedom, feeling that you can express using your voice and let the world hear what you have to say. Visit colchestervoiceacademy.com forward slash podcast Sign up to be kept informed as new episodes are published and consider joining our online community. Membership to this will allow you to post questions to our guests, link you to show notes, social media links, and entitle you to exclusive offers from our guests. See you next time.